0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Today I have as my guest, John Blakeman. John and I are actually colleagues at BYU-Idaho. John teaches in the sociology department. So John, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you having me here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. So let's just start out by asking a quick question. What do you see as interesting about you? What do you see as something that shapes and defines you?
1: The well, humble me would say not much, but the uh, the John me <laughs> uh, would say I've got a little bit of a different different backstory. Uh, I'm not a typical professor for where I where I came with my education. My education route is a bit different. I feel like at points I look back now and I think maybe the Lord had kind of drugged me along. He kind of dragged me to where I needed to be, and utilizing His wonderful agents here on the earth to help do that. And I'm sure we have a lot of people with those same stories, but I think if there's going to be something that's unique, I think it's probably my backstory of how I got to where I'm at now, and how there was a good number of odds that weren't in my favor to get to that point.
0: Right. And you and I have talked a little bit, so I've heard bits and pieces of your backstory, but I'm kind of excited to hear the full story here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well... uh...
1: It all started uh with my mom living in Florida and my dad living in California. I'm just kidding, all no, we're not going that far back. But uh so I was born in California uh until we about eleven years old, moved over to Idaho. And I was never uh I was I was very focused on many other things other than academia in school. In my first part of education I I loved recess and I didn't I didn't do a lot of the studying and thinky thinky part of academia. And as that continued to progress through my life, uh, I kind of just continued to fall down that pattern of just waiting for the next thing to happen. And not beyond these these challenges that I had in my life, I also had a significant challenge in middle school and high school where I was heavily bullied. I'm not a fan of the term bully. I think it's more of just peer abuse at this point. But I feel that that bullying or that abuse from my peers was a huge challenge. And just the other day, my wife and I had a conversation and, and she said, you know, I think you're still reeling from some of those challenges in your youth. And I think a lot of us, you know, we have these traumatic experiences in our youth and sometimes we don't fully get over them. And that's where we have wonderful uh, social workers and counselors and therapists like yourself that can kind of help us to overcome that, you know? And, and so when I was in my youth and I was b- severely bullied, it changed my perspective. I look back now and I have a different perspective. I have a different view on education. I have a different view on the peer structure, on on impact of the influence others have on me. But I still don't have all the answers I'm looking for.
0: <laughs> do you know what you're looking for exactly as far as those answers?
1: No, uh, I do know that I can find them in Scripture and Doctrine. And But when it comes to overcoming and, and the forgiveness and finding peace, I think I found those answers. I think... I do teach peace classes on campus, so I've got an N in that category of my life. Uh, Not that I've perfected it at all, but I do have a a little bit of a good base understanding of the theories behind peace, how we can find peace in our lives, how we can bring Christ into our lives. Um, And to do that, I think it takes a lot of personal effort and time, which that that's hard. That's really hard to find peace in your life, especially when you've had things that you feel like you've been mistreated or or victimized in different things in your life. Finding peace
0: can be really difficult. How have you found peace through this all?
1: Mm. I think prayer is where it all starts. It starts on your knees. It starts with us trying to seek Christ in our lives, try to seek His help in us finding that peace. Um, in these peace classes I teach, uh, Peace 101, it's a shameless plug if anyone's listening wants to go <laughs> yeah. take one of my classes. In, in these classes, we talk about these peace cycles and these ways we turn first, And beyond all these theories, I would say that a majority of these theories are these peace concepts, these peace approaches. They revolve around Christ. In my perspective, they do, because I see them as embodying who He is and how He loves us and... And is always willing to be there for us, regardless of our bad choices. He's always willing. Uh, There's the potential that we can always seek him out. And so once a bad decision's been made by either party, the peace cycle would say that there's still opportunity to have a creative conflict out of it. So go back to my story. We have these people in my life that did not treat me very, very nicely and how is it that I can take those, find forgiveness, regardless if I ever see them again, but for me to forgive them and find that peace, um, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes an understanding of yourself, I think, too.
0: What did you learn about yourself through all of this?
1: Uh, I learned that I really don't like bullying. Right. <laughs> I really don't like treating people wrong. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the idea of pet peeves. I think that's those pet peeves are things that we just haven't gotten over yet. But if I were to say I had a pet peeve, one would be when someone's ignored or not given the time of day, when someone's not treated kindly, especially in front of others. Uh, I think that's that humiliation, demoralization. I think I've learned that, that is, I'm a, on a path to help eliminate that when I see it. And I help my kids to say, hey, you see bullying... It's responsibility to step in and and create peace, right? Not just be a peacekeeper, but be a peacemaker where you can safely.
0: Right. Now, I understand that bullying got so bad for you at one point during high school that you actually dropped out. I did, yeah. Uh, Contribution of my lack of effort. And
1: bullying, I would say, uh, that peer abuse, I think that definitely would contribute, right? Your peers are so much to you when you're in that that, um, influential state, and that malleable state in your youth when you feel like the whole school is against you, uh, you tend to, I at least tended to not seek out my academics as much as I, I should have. It's sad to say, and I, I'm sure I'm, I am, and I know I'm definitely not the only one that has—that that is or has gone through this. There's many, many people, and they look back in their life and think, oh, I was not treatable by friends and family. But when I look back at that happening and my approach to it, it continually goes back to forgiveness and driving on, right? So if I look back at like dropping out of high school, right? So that was one of the odds, the 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 difficult challenges in my life was dropping out of high school, and not having that diploma to then lead into a college degree or a college a college experience. Um, and I attribute to that was some of my lack of forgiveness. What could have held me back? I think absolutely, right? So I'm a college professor now. Um, But at the point, I had dropped out my lack of effort and education, my frustration with not fitting in in my peer group, and all that mounting up to then me dropping out of high school. And then, I, you know, my dad and mom, of course, like any parent would, they're not the most happy about the whole thing. They were supportive of me finding my way, so I quickly got my GED. And then quickly went and joined the army and left at seventeen years old.
0: What influence did it join the
1: army? Well, my brothers were in. My dad had been in. My uncle, grandpas, uh, long, long lineage, if you will, of army and uh, and military and and, and also Marines. Uh, I joined the, the army. I really felt like I had nothing else going for me. And so when I when I got there to my dad and I get in the vehicle and I remember the words he says. Well, you can't just be living with mom and I. So we've got to figure something out, right? And so that's on the drive home. We had a good conversation about what I was going to do with myself. It's not that I wasn't welcome at home, but at the same time, my dad did not want to facilitate someone who stays at home and does not, you know, a failure to launch situation. I think they wanted to avoid that. And so they needed to find a place for me or help me find that place. And the military, luckily, was that home for me. Uh, It brought me into realization of the world around me, helped me get some situational awareness of of my potential. Um, Although at 17 years old, I just continually waited while I was at basic training to just die and be forgotten of, but it never happened.
0: (laughs) What did happen actually? Uh,
1: So when I was at basic training, I I just tried to keep my head above water. I was the youngest one there, but I slowly began to find my place. I slowly began to find my courage to speak up for myself and to to know when to speak and when not to speak. Um, and I, I, guess I, I guess I kind of found myself, but I will say I think this is probably the most important thing that I got from basic training. And this is this for me was the biggest thing. It was that I I really feel like that's where my testimony was built. That's where it started, right? Because when we're young, our testimonies and in our religious beliefs, we we a lot of it's based off of our parents. And as we go through trials and challenges and overcome temptations and difficulties, we then build our own personal testimony of, of our beliefs. And, and as that strengthens, then you, you become more resilient. I didn't, I didn't feel like I had that when I went to basic, basic training. And so as I was there, I was tempted and tried with many difficult things, and I feel like my testimony started to just skyrocket. Well, I was the only one in my entire platoon who was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and because of that, I had huge opportunities for missionary and ministering work, if you will. Hmm. I had a lot of opportunities to share the gospel, and I, uh, of course, I didn't take all of them, like a probably a typical 17-year-old, but I did take advantage of a couple, and I I was fortunate to be the Lord's hand in uh, two baptisms at basic training, which I thought was interesting.
0: No, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. Are you currently in the Army? I am, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm at
1: 17 years, about 17 years now, so about three more years, and and then I would like to retire from the Army and yeah. be done with that. But right, you go. yeah, yeah, I'm currently a captain of the Brigade Provost Marshal for Idaho. So uh, that's my role. And then, uh,
0: yeah. This is just a question that I've kind of been thinking of as you were talking. How do you use the experiences that you had to help you as an adult now? Well, that's a good question. So the experience I've had
1: in my youth and through my life as an adult, I think that I like to say I take things a little slower, but my mind is always going so very fast. And so I, sometimes I try to slow myself down so that I'm not saying things I regret. I'm not saying things that uh, are out of anger or frustration. I think that's one thing I've learned from those times in my youth because when I was in high school and someone would say something frustrating, I was always ready with a quick whip right back, right? I always had something in. And and I noticed as I was getting older, if I went to visit someone at the high school or whatever I was going, anytime I'm going to a high school or anything, I'm like, I've got four or five really good comebacks charged and ready for whoever's Mm -hmm. coming at me, right? And, of course, that's not gonna ever happen or help any any kind of situation so so these lessons, so slowing down a bit, uh, which I always struggle with slowing down a bit, I'm always wanting to go, go go. um another one is not getting excited about things that don't need excitement. so if someone says something to you that is hurtful, uh, getting excited about it and and lashing back out's not gonna help anything so as a professor, I have students in my class that will bring up questions or they'll say things that aren't quite on topic. And instead of either losing patience with a lack of understanding or uh, or if someone doesn't turn something in, they promise, right? There's there's no need to get excited. I think it's patience and compassion that's going to win the day on that. So, so a lack of getting excited, driving down the road and someone cuts you off. Instead of getting frustrated and showing that frustration, forgive them and smile and back up and let them do their thing, and hopefully they get there safely. I think it's just that idea of just being a bit more relaxed in the things around you, but taking your testimony seriously. I think Mm -hmm. that's
0: that, that balance. You've heard the saying... Choose which hill you want to die on. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody cutting you off is that hill for the day, then, (laughs) you know, probably not the best choice. (laughs) Not the best choice. Not the best choice. But I I can see how that's benefited you in your adult life. And also now, married, raising children, you're using probably a lot of those skills that you're acquiring to help your own children.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, which I'm b- very much still not the, the best parent, but I am definitely trying. Uh, it's funny cause you mentioned that my wife always says, Hey honey, you need to pick your battles. So mm-hmm. I decide to pick all my all of the battles, all of them, right? And I lose, you know, ninety nine percent of them. But uh, with, with the kids, so when I'm I'm doing this thing and you got to pick your battles, which one's the hill to die on? This reminds me of this idea. I, I feel like I've learned and I've I've developed over the years is this idea of you always have a choice. Everything is a choice at yeah. all times, right? Yeah. No one's forcing us to do anything at any point because we have this thing called agency. Because we have agency, there's always a choice there's always an option so i tell my kids i say you can always choose whatever you want to do but you definitely don't get always choose the consequence right but your choice to do something with the known consequences is essentially choosing the consequence um and trying to help my kids learn that is because something i think it took time to develop is understanding that everything's a choice but you don't get to choose the consequences Is I'm hoping there's a long-term benefit uh, is letting them know that they have that option. They can choose. So in raising my kids, I've also noticed that I'm headstrong. Um, My wife and I balance each other out very well. I think that's an important thing. Mm And my kids also have, I think, developed this, this some of these headstrong approaches, and so
0: trying to navigate those waters that's very difficult. Very difficult. I like how you talk about choice because there's two quotes. That I'll tell you really quick, and they're very short. Yeah. Thomas S. Monson is famous for saying, "Decisions determine destiny." Oh, yeah. So obviously, you know, whatever you decide to do, that can alter the course of your life. Okay. And then I don't know if you know, you've ever heard of the coach Lou Holtz. He used to coach Notre Dame football. Okay, yeah, He said, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Oh, I love that too. Isn't that something? I do. And if you think about it that way, it could really change the way we view the world.
1: Yeah. I have students that come to my office so often seeking advice and guidance and mentoring on decision lives, right? Mm-hmm. We, we both have a lot of life decisions and and it can be really hard. They're looking at, at going to this school or going to that school. or not going to grad school at all. Or should I even stay in my undergrad? Or uh, what classes should I take? And all of these are big decisions in their lives. And so... Helping them navigate those waters and helping them understand that all of it's a decision. Sometimes I feel like it's sometimes nicer just to be kind of backed into a corner and react, right, than having to do all this hard work and preparatory stuff. Yeah,
0: maybe easier. But. It may,
1: yeah, but at, in, the, in the end, that preparatory work is is going to help them to succeed. But they need to be prepared to react when all those plans go awry the second they start, right? The second they don't get into grad school, the second that the job that they wanted didn't land, the the second that uh, someone left them and they thought they were going to get married and and be together forever. and, And they need to be ready to react. So I have this timeline I like to teach my students. I call it the timeline of preparation. So in this timeline of preparation, you have... I always wish I have a whiteboard. Um, I need a pocket <laughs> whiteboard. <laughs> and if I hold up a whiteboard, you think about it. You're starting on the left, and you're moving to the right. This is your timeline of life. During this time is your preparatory time. Your time to prepare yourself to make decisions when decisions come, because we don't know when they're going to be there. It's our time to prepare ourselves for our the, the second coming, say, right? We, we prepare ourselves for the time when things come up that we don't know when they're going to happen. So that's your preparatory time. As you continue to the right in this timeline of life, you come to decision points. These decision points can be such as someone throwing a scalpel and a sticking into your arm. Right? How are you going to react? Right? And it's deciding to either take it out and throw or to be forgiving and loving and understanding. To seeing, to being prepared. Not preparing, not utilizing the time we have now to prepare. And we get to those decision points, which can go up or down. And are we ready to make the decision? Not as in we know what the right decision is. Are we in control of our emotions? Are we thinking in a system two, logical, critical thinking about others, seeing them as people? How do we get to that point in our lives so we're ready to make proper decisions? And the answer is now. The time is right now before that decision needs to be made for you to be ready to make the right decision. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so that, that's one approach I, take to, I try to
0: teach my kids and, and as well as my students. Yeah, have you ever heard of the author, Linda Ellis? I have not. So Linda Ellis wrote this poem called The Dash. Yeah. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just read it really oh, quick. Go for it's, it, it's, absolutely. It's not too long. She said, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all, was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real, and always try to understand the way other people feel, and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more, and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect, and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash might only last a little while. So, when your eulogy is being read, with your life's Actions to rehash. Would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That kind of goes along with what you're saying. I think, yeah. doesn't
1: it? In that quote in there, or in that poem, you you say the word, uh, "Will we, we regret?" Right. That's what she brings up as regret. I look back at my life and I think of all the things I've done. I think of the path I've taken, the path that I feel like sometimes I've been dragged through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's people I'm sure I've made sad or frustrated like we all have. Do I regret any of it? Do I regret any of the decisions i made because they've helped develop me to who I am right now? Right. That's a tough question to ask. That's a tough question to think. That little dash, that little line between the two times when we're born and we're dead... Uh, when we die, and, and how do we spend, how do we spend our time to help those around us, love those around us, focus on our kids, their betterment, our
0: spouse?
1: That's a tough, tough one, right It there. is.
0: I mean, you go to any cemetery, you stand in front of any tombstone, you don't even have to know the people, but you look at the date they were born, you look at the date they died. That's all you know. Yeah, but what does that dash tell you? That little dash there is a whole lifetime of somebody. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating to think it that way, which brings it back to home about choices. Mm-hmm. If that's true, then the choices we make matter.
1: Yeah. Tremendously. And preparing ourselves to make those choices. Yeah. Do we have preparation beforehand? Are we actively seeking the ability to make good choices? And then that leads into my favorite topic to talk about is testimony. Mm-hmm. Leading into developing a testimony. Are we properly feeding our testimony the knowledge and understanding and and spiritual preparation that it needs to be prepared for those tough decisions those options in life are we listening are we being quiet and calm enough and slow enough in our lives to listen to the still small voice or are we rushing through everything and just waiting for
0: the next day to happen yeah yeah that makes a difference doesn't it the choice we make about that i don't know about you john but growing up in my life as a teenager i thought i had all the answers that's when you're you, smartest when you're 18, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I was the smartest person in the world. Just yeah. just ask me, you know. <laughs> and I look back on that now, and I think how much I missed from the wisdom of other people thinking, you know, I was probably unteachable, uncoachable, you know, know-it-all. Yeah. And look back now, and, it, you know, you talk about this regret. Yeah, I wish I hadn't. I wish I had taken time to listen. But the older we get, I think wisdom sets in and we're like, there's so much out there to learn. Yeah. And if I just open my ears and close my mouth, I'm going to be a pretty intelligent guy. Oh, yeah.
1: What my, my grandpa always said, the quickest way to know how, how dumb someone is just to let them speak. Yeah. And I think, man, well, I've been doing this speaking all day long, <laughs> darn it.
0: Yeah. As we wind up here, John, take the topics that we've talked about now and with the wisdom you have and the knowledge that you've gained through your 30-plus short years of life. 35? Uh, I'm still in my prime. No, okay. <laughs> what would you offer to people who perhaps have experienced similar Let's say the bullying part. What would you offer to kids today who are going through that?
1: First thing that comes to my mind is love them. So if someone's bullying you or you feel like you have this peer abuse situation and you're just not being treated right, stick up for yourself. doesn't mean you have to fight back, but you can definitely use your loving words to forgive them and love them. Understand that they're probably going through a hard home. Understand that they're probably having a hard time. Later, after I had been bullied for years and years. And I got married to my wife who I met in high school. I look back and uh, and I heard that one of my choice bullies, if you will, uh, his father died. His father died and he lived a really hard home life. He lived a life of a lot of regret, a lot of frustration, and he didn't have a great outlet on taking that out. And so I was part of that outlet. So realize that although it's not right or fair you need to love them. Of all the people in this world who were treated the worst, I would probably put Christ up on that list pretty darn high because he was not treated well. And the one thing that gets me the the worst is that he just showed continual, unconditional love to every single person, regardless of what was happening to him at that time. He wanted them to be forgiven as he's being murdered. This is just what kills me. And and so I think if I were to advise, if I were to sit down and have a real heart-to-heart with a youth that's being significantly bullied, number one, protect yourself in safety, right? But uh, the other number one is loving them, loving your bullies. And don't love them, you know, to death kind of thing. Don't make it so you're angering them with that love, you know. You're not do that condescending love. You want to really love them. Pray for them seek out answers and help with that in your scriptures and then keep yourself safe in my peace classes my my students always say well if i turn first and i'm i'm being vulnerable emotionally what if i get hurt it's part of turning first right emotion you need to keep yourself physically safe mentally safe but allow yourself to love them and then pray for them and seek guidance on your knees
0: to heavenly father right so that that would be my guidance just love them as simple as message as that sound it's so powerful it's so hard though (laughs) and it's hard very 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 hard it is you know uh strati young you met strati oh yeah wonderful person. Um, last week in last week's podcast he made a statement that's i've been thinking about all week and you talk about the youth and the importance of the youth yeah strati said as older people we're dead men walking because it's not about us anymore it's about helping those that are going to come up so true Help that next generation to be loving. Exactly, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, John, I feel like the time spent here, I'm going to walk away feeling enriched from. I got more of more
1: from it than I thought I definitely ever could have. I thought yeah, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I
0: I think that stories need to be told. Yeah, people's stories can help other people. I think so. And uh, once we are willing to share those and be vulnerable, if you will, and say, "Hey, I was bullied, but I didn't let that." you know rule my life yeah you know didn't take control of me look you're a phd you're teaching at byo idaho you've you've got a lot you got a wonderful family so you didn't let that bring you down yeah And that's amazing i think that's a story in itself
1: the key to it is having heavenly father with you and christ with you at all times
0: <laughs> at that i think mean, that's the key yeah, there you go yeah, yeah well thanks and uh i appreciate your time tonight And to my listeners, thank you so much for listening. And remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye-bye.